And it says this, it says, for by him all things were created, it's talking about God, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So what we talked about last week and what we understand from this verse in Colossians is that everything is God's. Everything is God's. Now you think, no, 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 this talent of God is natural ability. Well, it's God-given natural ability. God has given you that ability, and it's not your own. Well, you go, well, this, this is, my, well, you know what? Um, this wasn't from God. You know, I, I enjoyed last week. <laughs> For some reason, the only thing people remembered about something last week's message was bacon. Um, but, but God has given us everything in our life. Think about everything you enjoy everything you love, everything you enjoy doing or being a part of, and you have to understand that it's from God, that God has given it to you. It's not because you just happen to live in the world, it's because God is generous and God has given it to you and for you. So it's all from him, and it's all for him and for his glory. Now, we all want to live a generous life. There's not anybody in the room that would say, I don't want to be generous, right? All of us would say, yeah, I want to be generous. I want to help people when they're in need. I want to bless others. That would be great. But there are obstacles to us being generous in our life. And the truth is, uh, I hated to say it like this because it sounds um, confrontational, but we have enemies to generosity in our life. There are enemies to, to our generosity, and it prevents us from being just generous as we would like to be. And the truth be told, being as generous as God would have us be. And so I just want us to walk through a few of these today. And if... Um, if you're uncomfortable, that is okay. Do not blame me. I'm basing everything I say on, I'm basing 99% of what I say on scripture. Like the thing about bacon, that's not from scripture, okay? Um, but if you get upset with me, I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. But most of what we're going to say today is from scripture, so you can't get too mad at me. It's God's fault. <laughs> I'm just passing the buck. So the first enemy we're going to look at today, enemy of generosity in our life, is fear. And I think every one of us in this room has had a moment in our life where finances has been so tight and we knew we needed to give or bless or help someone else and we thought, I can't because what if, right? What if I don't have enough? What if I can't pay my bills? What if I can't make ends meet? What if I can't pay for this? What if I, and we fill in the blank there, we want to be generous but we feel like we can't and that fear gets a hold of us. And it's the spirit of lack in our lives that we don't have enough, so how can I help if I can't do that? And as we get into this message today and we look at fear, I want to introduce to you a story that we're going to look at this week and next both. Um, AJ and Heidi Allison are part of our church. They're members of our church. And uh, you, you may recognize them once you see the video. They're the couple, and there's no other way to say this. Um, they're Caucasian, and their kids, they've got four black kids. They look like, it doesn't look like the family matches. Um, but if you've seen them around, they're an awesome family. I love them. And they've shared their story with us. And we're going to show a portion of that today. And then next week, I'm going to have them with me on stage, and we're going to talk through some of that uh, next week as well. So if we could, let's go ahead and roll that video. Like I said, we'll finish... Um, AJ and Heidi's story next week. Um, we'll talk about that a little more here from the stage. One of the things they talked about over and over was fear and just how afraid they were. And when they first went to Ethiopia and adopted their first son, Will, you know, the cost was, I think it said in the video, about $35,000. Um, and they had uh, they scraped together and they figured out how to come up with the money. And then they felt like God called them. And they said, we will never go back. And then they felt like God called them to, to adopt more kids. 
And, and as they were telling me the story, they said, uh, Heidi said, I felt like we needed to adopt a sibling group. And um, I'm thinking a brother and sister or brother, you know, something like that. And, and AJ was thinking the same thing. And then when she said, we've got this email about three kids, it was like, whoa. So they didn't have the money to do that, but they felt like God was calling them to open up their home to these three kids who were really probably too old to be adopted, probably were never going to be adopted by an American family or, or another family. And so they went over and they said, okay, God, this is the deal. We don't know if we can go back. We're scared. Um, it was going to cost about $100,000 between all four kids to adopt. Okay, now I love my daughters. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't take 100000 for them. 150. now we're in the right ballpark, but no, I'm just kidding. But $100,000, and one of the things they said was um, they tried to get a loan, but <laughs> banks aren't giving out loans for $100,000 for kids. You know what I mean? Like the collateral, they don't want to take those kids back on repo. So, uh, <laughs> so they just said, we didn't know what to do. And we were scraping, we were cashing out IRAs. We were, you know, everything we could. And AJ said, one day, Heidi came to me and said, um, I think we need to tithe. And his response in the video that you saw when he said, how are we supposed to give more when we can't even pay for what we want? And that was kind of how he approached it. And she just said, man, I feel like we, we got to start giving to the church. Or, you know, let's give 10% to the church. And at that point, they almost felt like, well, it couldn't hurt anything at this point. Like, we're nowhere close to getting the money together to adopt these kids, so might as well. And we'll talk next week about what God did, but it was incredible. Obviously, you saw a picture that all the kids ended up here. So God, God did something. Um, but it's incredible how God began to orchestrate and put things together when they said, we can't afford to be generous, but we're going to be generous anyway and see what happens. When they said, it doesn't make sense, the fear of what if, what if we can't adopt these kids, what if we can't do what God's calling us to do, what if we don't have enough, all those things were playing into their minds, and they said, we're still going to step out in faith and just see what God does. And what if is a dangerous thing for us to think about when it comes to being obedient to God? Because from the very beginning of time, in the Garden of Eden, uh, Satan came to Adam and Eve, and basically he, he, he proposed this to them. Is God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? I think God is just holding out on you. And he planted a seed in humanity that has really stayed with us since then, this idea that God is holding out on us. And so when we say what if, what we're really saying is, what if God holds out on me? What if God doesn't come through? If God calls me to be generous in an area, if God calls me to pay for somebody else's lunch, if God calls me to help somebody else, if God calls me to bless somebody, what if he doesn't come through? And what we're dealing with is the same lie that humanity's been dealing with since the beginning of time. What if God is holding out on you? What if he doesn't want the very best for you? What if his promises aren't true? And it's no different today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says this. It's a passage that a lot of you will know, but it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you remember the verse I just read from Colossians. It said that basically everything is his by him for him. So what you have to understand when you look at Philippians 4, 19 is that everything is God's. Everything is God's. There's nothing he is lacking and so if there's a need in our life of any kind, God's not going to meet our need according to what our need is. He's going to meet our need according to his riches and glory. And this isn't just finances, guys. This is every area of our life. You're dealing with fear. God can meet your, your need because he is the God of fear. Uh, he's over fear. He has dominion over that. Does that make sense? So he, he can meet your need and not just meet your need. He's got an abundance to meet your need. This isn't just money we're talking about. This is our hearts we're talking about. 
God has it all. And if you have a need, he's good with that because he can meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Uh, this next, later this year, I was about to say this next year, but later this year, we're, we're going to walk systematically through um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 at different points throughout the year. And, uh, and so we'll come back to this verse I'm about to read you, but uh, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus is preaching, and this is what he says in, in Matthew 6, 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what will you put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you, not of, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What Jesus is basically saying here is, let's keep the most important things the most important. Because don't we get sidetracked on things that really don't matter? And you go, Mel, isn't it important to know what we're going to eat and where and basic necessities? Absolutely. Those things are important. But sometimes those things become preeminent in our life where that is what we're focused on. And God says these things are important, but they're not the most important thing. I love food. I talk about it a lot, right? But it is not the most important thing. What we wear is important. It's good that you're wearing clothes today. I'm so glad you're wearing clothes, right? But it's not the most important thing. That's why, that is why we don't all have to wear dresses and suits and ties to church because it is not the most important thing. What is the most important thing? It's knowing God, having a relationship with him, and making his name known to this world. Those are the most important things, but sometimes we get sidetracked on things that don't even matter, things that are temporal, things that are of this world. And God said, these things have value, but they're not the most important thing. And when we look at them as the most important thing, we are, functionally, we've become idolaters. We're saying, you know what, what I wear or what I eat or what I have, those things are more important than what God's got for me. Told you this was going to be popular. So what happens? Well, we're afraid we're not going to have enough. It's that fear of lack in our lives. And God wants to come against that because he's a God of abundance. There's nothing he is lacking. So we have this fear. What if, what if I am generous? Do you know we've had more? I mean, obviously it's cold, but we've had more calls in the last couple weeks because um, people just in need because they don't have any fuel to, to heat their homes. We've had so many, and we've helped a few of them. But the truth is, what if, what if you live next door to somebody, and they said, you know what, man, this, man we're, we're out of heat. I can't heat my house. And you said, you know what, I want to take care of that for you. Maybe you can't take care of the whole thing, but maybe you said, you know what, I, I want to buy you guys a couple of space heaters just to keep a couple bedrooms warm maybe. What if you bless somebody that way? But too many times we go, well, I would, but I don't know if I'll have enough. What we have to do is say, God, you're calling me to be generous, and I'm going to trust you because that's what you're calling me to do. John chapter, or 1 John chapter 4 says this. Uh, verse 18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perf uh, perfected in love. And I'll come back to that word perfected in a minute. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Did you hear that? 
That, that's tough. And again, this isn't from me. This is God, okay? So he can take the blame for this one. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I said last week that generosity and love are always working in tandem. You cannot say I love someone if you don't show generosity toward them. If you don't have a willingness to give, then you do not love them. Does that make sense? I could tell my wife and girls I love them all I wanted to, but if I didn't take care of them and help pay their bills and things like that, how loving would I actually be? And I think we've seen situations with spouses, they get divorced, and one of the spouses, I love my kids, but they don't pay child support ever, right? My, my sister-in-law, she had a guy in her life that he owed like 50000 in back child support. And it didn't matter what he said. If he loved his child, he would have paid, right? He would have given toward his child. That's probably not very popular for me to say, but that's okay. It's right. And this is the thing. Generosity and love are always connected. We can say we love someone, but if we don't give them anything, and I'm not talking about gifts, but if we don't give them our heart or our time, our emotions, if we don't invest in them, we don't love them, right? And I think we can agree to that. But this is what God has called us to. God has called us to love the world. God, God hasn't called you to love the people who love you. That's easy. I can, I can love the people who love me. God doesn't need me to do that. God needs me to love the people who hate me. That's, that's where our Christianity comes into play. Because anybody can love the people who love you. Anybody can give and be generous to the people who are generous to you. But the question is, can you be generous towards your enemy? Because that's exactly what God did. We talked about it last week. God sent his son Jesus to die for the world when they were enemies to him. I said this in the earlier service, but um, last week I referenced uh, Bill Gates, richest man in the world. Uh, he's probably made another billion since last week, since last Sunday, but this guy's given away $28 billion in his life. He has given away $28 billion with a B dollars, right? That's a lot of money. But can I tell you, I know where he has not given any of his money. Apple. <laughs> right? Why? Because they're the enemy. He's not investing in them because they're the enemy. He wants to crush them. He's not helping them out. Why? Because they're the enemy. And what has God called us to do? He has called us to love our enemies, not just love them in word, not just say, okay, I love them, I forgive them, I guess, but to invest in them and to give them something, show generosity toward them. And that's hard. But that's what God has called us to do. He doesn't want us just to love when it's easy. I say this to our staff, and I say this from here, from the stage before. God doesn't call us to do easy things. God calls us to do hard things. But when he does, he makes them incredible. God is calling us to do a hard thing and to be generous to the people who don't show us generosity and to love those who don't love us. Because that is what he does. And that's what he's asking us to do. And we can't let fear keep us and prevent us from being generous to the people in our world. Because God has made flesh when we show generosity to the world. People get a better picture of who Jesus is whenever we are generous to them. It's easy for people to caricature, make a caricature of the church and go, oh, well, they're weird. They handle snakes, or they do this, or they do that. And they see the things on TV, and they think that's us, right? And don't you hate it when you see the things on TV, and you're like, oh, gosh, the world thinks that's how we act. Like, they think that's how we are. And you're like, no, right? This is how we combat that. It's by being generous to our world, by being generous to the people that we come into contact with. I won't share all the stories. I love it because after service this morning, I had, 
I had like four different people come up to me and go, man, I got to tell you this story. This is what God did this week. I, I was, uh, one guy told me, he said, I was, I was getting gas at this gas station. I ran into this guy. I was just having a conversation with him. He was telling me about how his, he was having problems, physical problems. And I told him about this thing he could do. And I ran to the drugstore and got this like this medicine or patch or whatever it was. And he brought it back to him while the guy was pumping his gas. He said, man, I just want to give this to you. I just want to bless you. And he gave him a card for the summit with it, which I love because I'm like, thank you. We got, we got evangelists out there. And he, so he, he gave it to him and said, hey, I just want to bless you. And he said, well, thanks so much. And he said, no, 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 it's not about me. It's about the church. What I want him to understand, it's not about the church. It's not even about us. It's about God, right? So I keep hearing these stories about people that are like, man, I love it. And the thing is, when we show generosity to the world, it's incredible what it does in our lives and our hearts. And we're going to talk about that next week. You, you don't want to miss next week. This week, you might be going, oh, gosh, this one hurts. It does hurt a little bit, I promise. But next week, it'll feel better. So the first enemy to generosity in our life is fear. Fear will prevent us from being generous in the world and from being generous to the people around us. The second thing is apathy. And you're like, wow, that just got worse. It did. Um, the truth is, some of us don't show generosity to the world because we just don't care. We don't show generosity to the people around us because what's the point? What does it matter? What difference does it make? And I get that. But that is not the way a child of God should think. This is what it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. And this is um, Luke was writing, but this was about the Apostle Paul. And it says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So this is what it's saying. I don't want to focus on that second part of the verse, because we've heard that before. Every Christmas, you oh, it's more blessed to give than receive. You get the horrible gift, and you're like, well, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, and that's what you appease yourself with that. We're not going to focus on that part of the verse today, because it's true. It is more blessed to give than receive. If you've ever given, you understand that. But the first part is what I want us to look at. It says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. We live in a society that we pride ourselves in pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and working hard and, and everything I've gotten I've earned because I've worked hard. And I get that. And we live in Western Pennsylvania and people work hard in Western Pennsylvania. If you stand out in the lobby and shake people's hands on the way out, they're not baby soft, okay? They are, they are calloused and hard and the guys have big hands and they're cr right because they're working hard. They're not like, they're not baking cookies for their mamas. They're not like, you know, putting, they are working, right? Like, you go and kill your food and cook it for dinner. Like, this is the kind of, we, we are manly. We're men. We work, right? Like, that's where we're at. We take a lot of pride in that, and we should, because we work hard, and there are benefits to working hard. But what this passage of Scripture is telling us and making very clear is that when you work hard, the benefits of you working hard are not just that you will have more. The benefit of you working hard is that you will have more so you can bless more. You, your hard work shouldn't just benefit you. It should benefit those who don't deserve to benefit from it as well. When God called Abram in the Old Testament, Genesis, he called him to leave the country where he was. And he said, go to a land I'm going to show you. And he said, just go. And this is what I'm going to do if you do what I'm asking you to do. He said, you're going to be a blessing, but you're going to be a blessing so that you can bless others. That's what he said. I'm going to bless you 
But it's not just you can have more. You can have the, the biggest palace, the most camels. He said, no, 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 that's not what I'm doing. I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing to others. And when God blesses us with the ability to work hard, he blesses us with a job, he blesses us with income. The reason he's blessing us is not so we can accumulate more, so we can stockpile and hoard our stuff and get more and more and more. The reason he's blessing you is so that you can be a blessing to others. That is the purpose behind it. And it's not so you can... can feel how good it is to be a blessing. It's not so people can go, man, that guy's great because he's a blessing. I've said this before, but praise should never terminate with the creation, but with the creator. When you go to a museum and you look at a sculpture, you go, wow, that sculpture is incredible. It's beautiful. But you know what? The glory doesn't rest on that sculpture. The glory rests on the creator of the sculpture. Does that make sense? So when we do anything that brings glory to God, it's not about us. It's going to reflect back to God. It's, it's what it's all about. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Our apathy should be um, put in the back seat because it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. God has called you to be a blessing. It doesn't matter how bad your week has been. It doesn't matter if you need some me time. God has called you to be a blessing. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30 through 34. It says this, and I don't know if we get it up on the screen. I didn't send it to the tech team, so I apologize. I'll read it slowly. You can follow along. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30 through 34, if you need to look in your Bibles. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone walls were broken down. Now listen, this is King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. He's telling this story. And he said, I went for a walk. I was walking through this neighborhood, and I, I see this field. And it should be producing fruit. It should be alive and active and vibrant, but it's not. It's dead. And I see this vineyard that should be producing grapes and should be a, a source of life, but it's not. It's all overgrown. The walls are falling down, and it has not been taken care of. And then it says this. Then I saw and I considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Another version, instead of robber, it says like a bandit. See, this is what happens in our lives. God blesses us with an incredible gift or with finances or with time or whatever it is, and we think, I got lots of time to use something I use this for his glory. I, I, can, I can give later. I can help later. I can, I can serve later. I've got lots of time. And before we know it, we folded our hands a little, we're rested a little, and our time is gone. Our finances are gone, and we're wondering what happened. Have you ever driven through town here in Indiana? There are some gorgeous houses in Indiana. If you just drive around, there's some huge, beautiful houses, but there are also some houses that you look at and go, man, I bet that house was gorgeous 40 years ago. I bet it was beautiful 60 years ago, right? And you go, man, I bet it was something to marvel at at one point, but man, it's just, it's overgrown. The yard hadn't been mowed. The shutters have fallen off. It's wood rot everywhere, you know, dry rot. It's just, it's a mess. Have you seen those houses? There's, there's not a ton, but there's some in town. When I look at that house, I think that's gotta be the way our heavenly father looks at some of us and goes, God, that person had so much potential. They could have been something beautiful. They could have been something full of life. They could have been, producing something incredible. But they didn't take care of their gifts. They didn't take care of their time. They didn't take care of their talents in a way that glorified me. Because what this verse is really talking about is stewardship. 
See, these people had a field, they had a vineyard, but they didn't take care of it. They didn't, they didn't steward it very well. And as a result, it fell apart and it produced nothing. And for us in our lives, we have to understand everything we have is a gift from God. And it's our responsibility to steward it well, to take care of it well. Because it's not ours, it's somebody else's. I, the house I live in, I don't own it. We're renting it. And um, have you ever rented a car? Like you go to the, you know, you're maybe at an airport and you're like, hey, I'd like to rent a car. They go, hey, would you like the insurance? And you're like, yes, absolutely. Because you're, you're thinking, I'm going to drive through a ditch at some point. Like, I'm going to drive this car like it's not mine. Like two wheels, like to, doing turns, dukes the hazard over ditches, whatever I can do. Like you're like, woohoo, it's not my car. I got the insurance. Here we go. Let's go have some fun, right? It's like a two-door Hyundai, you know, hatchback, and you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> We're going to have some fun with this thing because it's not my car. This is the thing. We have to treat our lives as if they're not our own, that somebody else is going to ask us what we did with it someday. I, the house I live in, I don't own it. I've, a guy I know owns it, and I've got a relationship with this guy and these, this group of guys, and I, the truth is, I want to be a good steward of this home because it's not mine. I want to take care of it really well so that when the time comes, I can explain, hey, you know what? We upgraded this and we took care of that. And this was a problem we, we took care of, but we didn't even talk to you about it because we knew it just needed to be done. And Does that make sense? And with our lives, at some point, we're going to have to make an account for our lives, for our money, for our time, for our energy, our talents, all these kind of things. And I don't want to have to make excuses at the end. And go, well, you see, I was really busy that time. I just, I don't know why I didn't help or volunteer or serve or give to my neighbor or. God doesn't want to look at our lives and think, what if? What if they would have stewarded that? What if they would have been productive? What if? God doesn't want to do that. I don't want that for you. God's got more for us than that. One of the problems is we don't plan to be generous. We want to be generous. But if we have a little extra, maybe something will come in and we can give to our neighbor. Or, but we don't plan to be generous. Uh, I told the earlier service, in, in a few weeks, we're going to have a review of 2014. And on a Sunday morning, we'll talk about the numbers from 2014 and, and just all the things. There's lots of good things to celebrate in 2014. Um, but we gave, as a church, we gave away outside of our church over $115,000 to ministry outside of our church in 2014. And that's a pretty incredible number because that number is more than some budgets of churches in our town. We gave away more money than some churches in our town have, right? That's pretty incredible. But this is the thing. We can celebrate that, but I'm not satisfied with that. In, in 2015, we're going to give away more than we gave away in 2014, not less. Because I'm not satisfied because there are more people that need our help. There are more people that we can help minister to. There are more missionaries we can empower. There are more ministries we can, does that make sense? So, so we, can, we can rest on our laurels and say, okay, great, we're done. Or we can say, okay, that's just the beginning. Let, let's go see how many more people we can reach for God. Let's go see how many more lives can be changed. And that's what I want. I want us to budget that in. See, what we're doing in, in 2015, um, we're budgeting a lot of people, did you know statistically there are people that spend 103% of their budget every year? And about, the number I read said between 5 and 10% of Americans spend between 100 and 103% of their budget. I don't know if you're good at math or not, but if you're spending over 100% of your budget, that means you're spending more money than you have, okay? <laughs> just, 
just economics lesson. Uh, but as a church, what we're doing is we're building in margin. We're not spending everything we've got. But then we're also budgeting generosity. We're also saying we're going to give this much money away that's never going to come in. Does that make sense? And we're making that a priority. And I want to challenge you in your personal life. Let's make it a priority that you're going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give a percentage of my income away. I'm going to budget giving something away, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's tithing to this church, whatever the case might be. God has called us to be intentional about these things. Okay, now you're really going to love this one. The first one was fear. The second one was the apathy. And the last one is selfishness. Man, I thought it would be shouted down, amens, like people, yes, we can't wait to hear about selfishness. Um, Selfishness is in our DNA, isn't it? Like, does anybody have to teach their kids to be selfish? Like, no. And do you know why? Because you're going to think I'm hateful. Babies are parasites, okay? <laughs> they are. You, you never, <laughs> a doctor, there's never been a discussion between a doctor and a mother that's expecting, and the doctor's like, you know what, mom, you can stop eating because this baby's going to give you life the rest of this pregnancy. Next nine months, you don't have to eat a bit. You're going to be fine. Now, what does the doctor say? You know what, you're going to have to increase your caloric intake. You're going to have to eat more of this kind of food because this baby, man, you know, you ever heard the term eating for two? Like, well, I'm eating for two sometimes, but I'm not pregnant. But um, <laughs> it's me and the Holy Spirit, okay? Back off. Why do you eat for two? Because that baby's not giving you nothing. You got to feed the baby, right? Well, at least when the baby comes, it gets all better. No, it gets worse. Because now you got to change the baby's diaper and you got to feed it and you got to take care of it and give it baths. Like, hurry up, baby. Like, feed yourself, right? Like, I mean, you can't even walk, baby. Come on. Why? Because they don't sustain themselves, they don't take care of themselves. They are taking. Did you know? Physically, this is a side note, but physically, um, most species, when, when they're young, when they're babies, their faces are, are arranged in such a way, this is true for just about any animal you can think of, whether it's humans or animals or whatever, puppies, um, their faces are such that they appear cuter when they're younger, and it's, I, God did that, so we'll take care of them. We're like, you're killing me. It's three in the morning, and I don't want to be standing here with you while you're crying. Your diapers change, you've ate, you're just awake. Like, I don't even know why I'm up, but I'm going to take care of you because you're cute, right? <laughs> but they take and take and take and take and take. And that's what they do. It's in their nature when they get a little older. They're, they're not playing with their kids going, yours, yours, take it, just yours. What are they doing? Mine. They're ripping it out of other kids' hands. They got kung fu grip on that thing. They're not letting it go. Why? Because they understand mine. Because we're selfish. None of us are exempt from this. Every one of us are selfish. And we have to fight through that. We have to battle our flesh every single day so that Jesus can become more alive in us and the flesh can die more and more. You know, uh, on Wednesday nights we have a study going right now with Bob Santos. And he does, he's doing a great job. Week one was awesome. If you don't have anything going Wednesday nights, be here 7 o'clock. In this room, Bob's teaching a class, but it's really good. And I told him on Wednesday I was going to steal this. One of the things he was talking about was how we view God in Western society. And he's just said, the problem is a lot of us view God in the same way we view Santa. We view Santa Claus and we go, okay, Santa, um, your job is to give me what I want, and my job is to not act too bad so that you can still give me what I want. And if I do act bad, then you just nudge, 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 wink, wink, it'll be all right. Like, nobody's getting coal in their stocking this year because Santa's going to be good, right? So Santa's job is to give, my job is to take. And sometimes we look at God in this way and go, God, your job is to give and my job is to take. 
okay? You got the big white beard just like Santa. We all know what God looks like, right? So you got the big white beard, and your job is to give me what I need. What we don't understand is God was not created for our pleasure. We were created for God's pleasure, okay? We think God is around to make us happy, and that is not the case. We were created to glorify God. It is not about us. The world does not revolve around us, but we think it does at times. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kind of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many kinds of grief. Money's not the root of all evil. Money is inanimate. Money is just a thing. But when we love money, when we give our affection to the wrong thing, and we cast our heart toward the wrong thing, then we're in trouble. It's not a problem for us to have things. It's a problem for things to have us. It's not a problem for you to have a nice house. I love the fact that you would have a nice house or a nice car, whatever it is. But if that is the focus of your life, you are in trouble. You, you, are, you are loving the wrong things. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, well, you're going to love this one too. I've read this verse before, but in this context, you're going to love it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let me stop right there. We as Christians are notorious for this. You hear about some need, or in social media age, somebody posts something on Facebook, and our initial response is to go, you know what, I'll be praying for you. That's great. But sometimes when we say, I'll be praying for you, it's a cop-out. Let's be honest. It's kind of like when you see that person at the grocery store and you say, yeah, we need to get together sometime. But you're thinking, please don't let them ever contact me about getting together because I don't want to get together, right? You're like, hey, you need to call me. We'll get together. And you rush in there, but I don't have your number. And you're like, that's okay, right? Like, <laughs> you have no intention of getting together. And sometimes when people tell you their need and you go, you know what, I'll be praying for you. All it is is a way to pacify them, to get them off your back, because you're not going to pray for them. I've done the same thing, not recently. Some of you are like, wait, wait a second. Uh, I promise. I really do try to, every time somebody tells me about a prayer, and you try to write it down or jot it down or make a note of it just so I'll remember it. I, I never say I'll pray for you if I'm not going to, because I don't want to be one of those people. But the truth is, that's kind of our default. We go, oh, I'll be praying for you. And the problem is this, that sometimes God brings a need into our lives of somebody else's, not so we can pray for them, but so that we can be an answer to prayer for them. Does that make sense? Sometimes God doesn't want you just to pray. God wants you to act and do something about their prayer need because you are the answer to somebody else's prayer if you'll open up your heart and be willing to respond to it. Verse 18 says, but some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Now remember, this is James. This is, this is the brother of Jesus. He's writing to the church, and he is calling them all out and calling them fools. Like, I, you might like me, but you probably wouldn't if I called you a bunch of fools, right? He's just calling them out. He said, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. The word completed there means matured. It doesn't mean it was finished. It just means it was matured. And so what we have to understand is that when we marry faith and action together, when we say, I'll be praying for you, but then we go, well, maybe I am the answer to this prayer, and we respond in faith and say, I'm going to take action, what happens is our faith matures. And we grow in the Lord whenever we marry our faith and action together. Now, I was hoping you'd be more excited about that. It's not just about being generous. It's not just about giving things away. It's about us growing in our faith with God and understanding who he is so that the world can have a better understanding of who he is as well. I told the earlier services, there's an old saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It does not matter what our intentions are. It does not matter how much we wish we could give to the church or to other um, organizations in our community. None of that matters. What matters is when we marry our faith and our actions together and let God work through that. See, God wants to work through you. He doesn't just want to work through this church. He wants to work through you. He wants your workplace to be transformed through you. He wants your neighborhood to be transformed through you. And one of the ways that happens is by us putting God's generosity on display for everybody to see. Not that we're pointing people back to us, not that it's about us, but it's about God and letting people see how good our God really is. This is not about getting money from the church. It's not about milking more out of you or anything like that. Um, I told the earlier service, we were, uh, and you'll see this when we present this in a few weeks, but um, our, our give, total income this year for our church um, was $5,000 short of $1 million. We were $995,000 and change, so really $4,000 and change short of being a million dollars. We had a million dollars come in. That's incredible. That's awesome. And there, she's so excited about that. She's like, yes. But listen, this is the thing. It's not about getting more out of you. It's about releasing you into generous living so that you can walk in the life that God's dreamed for you to live. It's not about getting another dime out of you. Although I will say this, this year, we're going to see more people saved than ever before. We had I'm giving away my whole thing here in a couple weeks. We had over 200 people saved in 2014 at the summit. But you know what? We're going to have more saved in 2015. We gave away $115,000 to missions and missionary and outreach and all those kind of things this last year. We're going to do more this year because God loves people and we are in the people business. That's what we do. So it's not going to happen because we cross our fingers and hope it comes in. It's going to happen because people of God say, hey, we're going to be generous and we're going to believe and we're going to sow seed into good places and we're going to trust God even when we're afraid. I'm not going to be apathetic anymore. I'm not going to be greedy. I'm not going to be um, selfish. I'm going to sow seed into good places and see what God will do. God wants us to be generous. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to be generous and how that looks in our lives. So we'll get past some of this stuff. We're going to get to some of the benefits and what that looks like when we walk in obedience to God and, and how he works in our lives when we are generous to our world. I want you to be back next week, but let's pray before we close out, before we finish. Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your generosity toward us. God, I ask today that... Lord, we would be an accurate reflection of your generosity to this world and that we would not, Lord, we wouldn't be a caricature of Christianity or the church, but God, we would be an accurate reflection of how good you really are to the people we come into contact with, the people in the stores, the people in our workplace, the people in our schools. And God, I pray as we 
endeavor to do that, Lord, you would make yourself more and more known. Lord, the more generously we live, the, the more clearly people will see you. So God, have your way with us over the next few minutes. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, um, I, love, uh, I love what you had to say. I'm here today and I just don't know how that meshes with me because I'm not really a follower of Christ. I don't really have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know that I really know God, but I want to. I want to live a generous lifestyle. I want to know God and have a relationship with him. And I want to get things right today. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me, pray for me. I'm not going to make you come forward or call you out. Thank you. Back here on my left by the camera, you can put your hand down, sir. Who else? Says, that's me. I want to know God today. I want to make, have a relationship with him. I want to get to know him. Is there anybody else? Real quickly. Say, that's me. Pray for me. Thank you. I see your hand over here on the right, man. Awesome. Just a few more seconds. Anybody in the balcony? Say, that's me. Pray for me. Okay. I'd like everybody in this room just to repeat this simple prayer after me. So everybody in the place, repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving everything to me. I give my life to you today. I don't want to go back to the way I've been living. I want your life. I commit to chase after you for the rest of my life. Thank you for loving me. I'm making you Lord of everything. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can we give God a round of applause? Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. This is what I would ask. If you raised your hand, or maybe you didn't, but you know you should have, um, I don't ask anybody to come forward or try to embarrass you because uh, it is a personal decision, but I would love to have your information and just connect with you and help you take the next step in your walk because this isn't just about making converts. We want you to learn to walk with God every single day and, and be a disciple. So if you made that decision, there's a card in that seat back in front of you. It's a prayer card. And on the back of that prayer card, you can just fill out how you, where you made your decision or what you, you know, rededicated your life, a first time decision, whatever it is. Let us know about that. And then drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave. And, and that just allows me to contact you in the next few days and connect with you and just answer questions questions you might have and, and pray with you and help you take your next step in your journey. And let me pray over you one more time. If you would close your eyes and bow your head. If you're here today and you say, Mom, I'm a Christian, but man, I struggle with generosity. I, I really struggle. Maybe it's with the fear. Maybe it's just you being apathetic. Maybe it's, if you can be honest enough to say, man, I, I just struggle with greed or selfishness. If that's you, I just want to pray with you. And if that's you, just slip your hand up and say, pray for me, Mel. I, I'm going to heaven, but I, I need help being more generous. Thanks. Yeah, lots of hands. Lots of hands. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, you want us to live a generous lifestyle. And I pray for those that have raised their hands to say, today and said they want to live that way. I pray your blessing on them, God. I pray that you would open up doors of opportunity. I pray that you'd open their eyes to see those opportunities to be generous. But Lord, beyond that, give them the strength to take the steps to marry their faith in action and put those together so you can be glorified. So Lord, I pray for opportunities, but Lord, I pray for action this week. And God, I pray that we'll hear stories of how you moved through these people's generosity this week. So Lord, I pray that you would do incredible things. And Lord, it wouldn't be about us, but it would be about you and bringing people to you and introducing people to you. So Lord, have your way with us. Make us a generous people so that we can glorify you even more. Have your way in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Hey, listen, I know I went long today. Um, I apologize for that. If you would though, we're gonna, 
sing one more song together. And I would love for you just to worship with us. And if you need prayer of any kind, our prayer team is available on either side of the stage as we're worshiping. Feel free to come and find one of us. We'd love to pray with you. And then my wife and I, we're going to come back and close out at the end here in just a few minutes. So let's worship together one more time. Stand to your feet all over the room and let's worship one more time together.